Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. So today we're going to be talking about hormones and hormone replacement therapy. If you are like many of the women that I talk to on a regular basis about symptoms, treatments, prevention, the topic of hormones might feel really confusing. Because for those of us who are in our 40s now, a lot of what we believe about hormone therapy and hormone replacement therapy comes from all of the press that was given to a big study in the early 2000s called the Women's Health Initiative Study, sometimes referred to as the NIH study, that concluded that hormone therapy for most women increased the risk of breast cancer significantly enough that the benefits no longer outweighed the risks. And the resulting generation of us who are now in the throes of midlife and maybe a little bit before, a little bit beyond, have a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, and a lot of fear around hormone replacement therapy, which is why I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Anise Mukherjee, who is a UK hormone specialist, endocrinologist, who has almost three decades of experience in not only menopause and women's health, but just medicine in general. And I think what you'll find from my conversation with her is that she brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to this conversation, to the midlife table, in part because she's written a book based on her experience as a woman who's gone through perimenopause and menopause, which was really kind of what prompted her to start working a little bit more in this space. Um, But also just because this is her specialty. And her book, The Complete Guide to Menopause, is definitely one of the ones that I recommend for women who are looking for a really holistic conversation on menopause that isn't just looking at one aspect. And so my conversation today with Dr. Mukherjee is about myth busting. And we cover some of the big myths, like the risk around breast cancer, about whether or not you need to take it forever, and what it can and can't fix. So if you're one of the women who has questions, and I know there are lots of you out there, grab a cup, settle in, and listen to this conversation. Okay, let's get started with Dr. Anise Mukherjee, who is a consultant endocrinologist in the UK and a women's health specialist. And I, like all of my guests this season, I found Dr. Mukherjee on Instagram and picked up her book this summer, uh, which we'll link to and I'm sure um, we'll chat about. But I really liked this Complete Guide to Menopause book that you wrote as being a almost like a conversation that you were having with women like you would have if they were in your office. So it was very relatable. I really liked the stories that you shared and the little, you know, kind of tidbits. But I really liked this holistic perspective that you kind of brought to the experience of menopause. 
And you have one part of the book where you talk about this house of menopause, which I love analogies as anyone uh, who works with me or this podcast will know. It's kind of how I relate to the world. And I really just like this idea of we have this house and we have different windows that may be open or closed or doors. And we can kind of only focus on one thing at a time, but we have to kind of keep them all in the big picture. So I really, really liked that. So one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on to this podcast was to talk about some of the myths about hormone replacement therapy. And that might even be a misnomer. So just to give you a little bit of background and the listeners a bit of background, my dad was actually an OBGYN and uh, trained in the UK. He passed away many years ago. But um, I worked in his office for many years after school and in the summers. And this was in the 90s. And one of the things that I saw was that when women were put on hormone replacement therapy, which at the time was really only the kind of synthetic options, they never came off. It was they go on hormone replacement therapy and they stay on it forever. So then this big study in the early 2000s came out, which was the Women's Health Initiative study that kind of put fear into everyone about using hormones for any reason for any amount of time. And as a result, I'm part of the generation of women who are very confused now that we're in perimenopause and menopause about what's safe, what isn't, what's fact, what's fiction, and sometimes even their care providers, their their doctors, their their naturopaths, their prescribers really don't have kind of the most up-to-date information. So what changed so much in the last few years that we are now changing the conversation about hormone replacement? Okay, so the the Women's Health Initiative was studied was published in the early 2000s the that this major results and it was there was a similar study in the UK from Oxford called the Million Women study and they had very consistent results these were very very large research trials and they the, the interim data showed that women, and this is all comers, had a significantly higher risk of certain endpoints, one of being breast cancer, another being cardiovascular endpoints like strokes, heart attacks, um, admissions to hospital, and death, actually. But that was the sort of the all comers. So they were looking at every single woman who'd gone on to the synthetic forms of HRT um, and been left on it forever. So there were some women in the trial who had been on treatment for two, three, four, five years, some 10, some 15, some 20. So there were women in their late 60s, early 70s who were still on HRT. And they looked at all of the data and they found this significant harm. So literally virtually overnight hrt prescribing dropped by about 50 percent after the publication yeah. of the um uh, well we call it the nih study the the um women's health initiative study but then the researchers did something that we describe in medical research called subgroup analysis so we looked at different groups of women we looked at younger women on hrt we looked at different types of hrt the skin patch and the in those days it was mainly just skin patch hrt that was available or tablets there weren't the gels and the sprays that are available now there was no natural progesterone it was all synthetic progestogens um so there was a, it was a, a mishmash of lots of different groups of women on different types of treatment and they just looked at everybody after a certain length of time and they found harm when they did the subgroup analysis what they found was 
overwhelmingly the harm that was done was in women who were left on HRT without any monitoring for many, many years and decades. So Mm -hmm. there was harm. And that's again, that's now being lost today because now we're going the other way and we're saying every woman should be on HRT forever. And actually, that is really what we showed in that those initial studies. I say we, you know, the communities that Mm -hmm. did the research. What was shown is that you don't put a woman on HRT, regardless of what the type is, never monitor her, never review the pros and cons and the risks and benefits at different stages in her life. You know, because if you leave her on it for, five, you know, beyond five, beyond 10, beyond 15, beyond 20 years, you start to um, the, basically that the harm starts to outweigh the risk for some women, not all women, but some women. And it's actually not that difficult for somebody like me as a specialist to identify who is likely to come to more harm at any stage in time, who is likely to come you know, to more good at any stage in time. And if I keep it simple, because I know I, I like to give everybody as much information as possible, that's just the way I do it. Keeping it simple, if you start HRT when you're in the throes of the most severe menopausal symptoms, which is often in your mid 40s, early 50s, and you take it for the years that you're really struggling with symptoms, which is usually somewhere between two and 10 years for most women, but majority around five, if we say an average, but no one's average. Um, and then review your need for that treatment. Because if you take it beyond five, beyond 10, beyond 15 years, there is a much higher chance you'll come to harm. If you take it for less than five years and you've actually had an assessment by a doctor who knows about hormones and you're on one of the more modern preparations, you're highly unlikely to come to harm unless you know that you've got contraindications like, you know, an estrogen dependent cancer. Um, And the benefits over five years on things like bone health and cardiovascular health when you're younger are profound and they're long lasting. But the harm, you know, for things like cardiovascular issues, which so heart attacks, strokes, you know, blood pressure, younger women get benefit because estrogen is protective to young blood vessels estrogen is caustic to old blood vessels Mm -hmm. so the effects of estrogen when you're younger is really beneficial the effects of estrogen when you're on hrt after the age of 60 is much more likely to be harmful and again not in everybody so the problem is what we want is we want something to tell everyone that's all the same and we are not all the same and we can't just be assessed once and think right okay yes let's go on hrt and never stop it because That's exactly what happened in the 1990s, as you pointed out. And so what I see now is women who are terrified to go on it at all and who would really benefit in their midlife when they're going through the busiest phase with lots of symptoms. And then I see women who are in their 60s saying, well, I'm not ever coming off this because I've been told it's going to stop me getting dementia. Well, you're not going to get dementia if you die of a heart attack or breast cancer. So, you know, and and not that HRT has been proven to make a difference to breast cancer death, but, you know, there are there are significantly more breast cancer diagnoses in women who are treated for 10 15 20 years but not in that shorter term up to five years so it's all about looking at your benefits really and it's so difficult to to simplify because it's this sort of medicine isn't easy so you've said something that i have never heard before in all the conversations and education and you know study that i have done that estrogen has is protective to younger blood vessels but you know as you say caustic to older blood vessels that particular piece of the conversation is something that i've never heard before and i think 
is so valuable to keep in mind because all too often, I think women are delaying the decision about using hormone replacement therapy because they think that they are better off waiting until they're older when they really need it or to save it. So that is such an important piece of that conversation. Why haven't I heard that before? It's absolutely clear cut in research, but the scientific research, they talk about endothelium, the benefits, you know, it's, it's the people who do that research are the academics and they're not in the social media space that their information doesn't get out there. They're not trying to sell a product. They're just doing the research. But you're right about, you know, having it younger when your symptoms are starting is definitely better. And also the benefits on your bone health, because we know that estrogen helps with bones. But if you take it when you're younger, you get the benefits on your bone health. Even if you take it younger, it's going to strengthen your bones over those years without any of the higher risks. Whereas women will think, you know, they'll get to 60 and they'll go, oh, but I want to take it because I don't want to get a broken bone. But actually, you'll still get the benefits on your bones at 60, but you've got more risks in terms of other things. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely better to take it when you're younger. But it's but the whole point of the, the you know, the NIH study that, you know, the um, um, Women's Health Initiative study was that they showed that we shouldn't just Put everyone on it and leave them on it that you need to be reviewed for, for your own and that's why in my um HRT, hrt chapter in my book i talk about you know how do you know if you need it when should you start it how long you should you take it for when you sh when should you stop it and there isn't the same answer for everybody because i've got patients who are in their late 60s but they have a review with me you know and it's all very practical they go right i know that i I'm not stopping HRT, so I'm going to have my mammograms, you know, slightly more frequent. I'm going to make sure I'm up to date with mammograms. I'm going to make sure my cholesterol is good. My blood pressure is good in case there's any higher risk with blood vessel diseases. Because the other thing we know is that if you decide you want to continue on hormone therapy and, you know, you're older and you're still thinking, I want to make sure I don't come to any harm from my blood vessels, the way to do that is to make sure your cholesterol is is optimized and make sure your blood pressure is optimized and take the safer forms. And so there are ways to make treatment safer for you if you wish to continue. It's all about understanding your individual situation and what's best for you. And not everybody needs HRT forever. That's absolutely yeah. clear. Well, and there's no evidence that it. Yeah, right, it's one of that, you know, once you start, you won't be able to stop. And I know a lot of women who say, oh, I'm just going to try and tough it out a few more years, or they're coming to me to look for integrative options, of which there are many, but there are still some women who don't respond to them, right? Because there isn't a one size fits all treatment. And so, you many, know, many. they will try and tough it out. They'll try and wait it out because they're worried that once they start, they'll never come off. So that's a myth. I think you've kind of cleared that up, that not everyone needs it. Um, not everyone needs to stay on it forever. And that if you're working with a hormone savvy prescriber, you know, doctor, consultant, practitioner, whoever, that they will have, they should have the tools in their toolbox to be able to assess, you know, when is a good time to start and stop. Um, and a lot of it changes too. You know, I often see women who may start their perimenopause hormone journey on both types of estrogen, you know, on estrogen and progesterone and maybe have other hormones thrown into the mix, but that may change as they, you know, get further into their journey as well. So it's never going to be a one and done kind of prescription. It should always be, you know, moving and variable as needed. Would, would you agree with that? 
definitely. So what I find is younger women who are getting a lot of symptoms, they're obviously often at a very busy time in life, um, the younger they are, they tend to need higher amounts of estrogen in their body to kind of manage symptoms. As you you're sort of you progress, you get older, you're on treatment, your symptoms start to die down. The amount of estrogen you need to manage your symptoms is often less. So the doses can change over time. And we always say use the lowest dose to manage your symptoms. We don't want to overdose on estrogen Absolutely. or progesterone. So, it, you know, if you're on a, a certain type when you're 45, you may not need that dose 10 years or five years later and you may choose a different formulation a few years later so you might have it as a tablet earlier on because the risks of tablets are lower in younger women and, and you get a higher level of hormones through the tablets in general uh, better absorption but as you get older you don't need such high levels so it just changes all of the time a any woman who has an intact uterus so any woman who has not had a, a hysterectomy needs both estrogen and progesterone yes. but in the earlier phase we give it cyclically so we give um estrogen all of the time and progesterone or a progestogen only for sort of 12 to 14 days of the month as you get older and further away from natural menopause you can take a lower dose continuously which doesn't give you bleeding so essentially it's it's yeah it does need to be reviewed over time and I see lots of women who come to see me who haven't had you know a change a modernization of the preparations that they're on to suit where they are in their menopause journey um, and as you go down on the lower doses gradually that's when many women will go well actually I don't think I need it anymore now I'm on a tiny dose and I don't really have any symptoms and tailing off gradually is definitely the winning ticket for coming off Try, trying to stop cold turkey is really hard so one of the conversations that comes up a lot um, in my practice is women who have taken oral contraceptives in the past and felt like they had a lot of side effects related to those oral contraceptives headaches migraines bloating water retention mood changes and they fear taking hormone replacement therapy in perimenopause and menopause for the same reasons. So what are your, what's your advice for those women? And does it have anything to do with the fact that the oral contraceptives are primarily using synthetic estrogens and progestins versus the much more common body identical, bioidentical hormones that are used for treating midlife symptoms? Yeah, it has everything to do with that. So the the oral contraceptive, uh, the combined contraceptive preparations are not only completely synthetic estrogen and progestogens, they're much, much higher doses because the whole point is to suppress your own fertility, to suppress your own ovulation, egg release. That's you know, working as a contraceptive. So you're given a very synthetic estrogen, which is called ethanol estradiol. Uh, and many women get headaches with that because it puts the estrogen levels very high. The progestogens, the synthetic progestogens are basically steroids with effects that are like progesterone. And they've always been used because it took a very long time for us to be able to actually find a preparation of pro natural progesterone that could be absorbed by the body through oral or transdermal roots. So um, in fact, there isn't one for the transdermal route because it's still synthetic for the transdermals. But for, for obviously now we have bioidentical progesterone available orally and vaginally. But um, so 
the combined contraceptives, the progestogens in them are basically like steroids. They cause weight, they can cause weight gain, acne, low mood, bloating. They cause all of those symptoms. And the estrogen can cause headaches because it's high levels of estrogen, fluid retention um, and weight gain sometimes. Not everybody gets those side effects with with the combined pills, but many, many women do. Um, and actually, some of the more modern combined pills have more refined progestogens that have less side effects. So if you fast forward onto HRT, HRT is much lower doses because it's not trying to stop you from ovulating. HRT is not a contraceptive hormone mm-hmm. therapy. I, I'm calling it HRT because that's what we call it in the UK, but <laughs> hormone therapy. So, or menopausal hormone therapy. Um, so um, the formulations are lower dose. They don't tend to cause migraine. There's a, it's a big myth. The pill preparations, the combined pills cause migraine. Hormone therapy for menopause doesn't tend to cause migraine. I can't guarantee that because every single woman, if she's in you know, a stressful phase in her life and she's having perimenopause with fluctuations in her own production still of estrogen, you know, it's not necessarily going to stop the migraines. But generally, I find HRT, hormone therapy, doesn't cause migraines. And with the, with the body identical progesterone, that's been a game changer. Most women don't get any side effects. Some women still get side effects. So, you know, and with with, like with any medication, I I have lots of women who say I'm desperate to go on HRT. I've heard it's marvelous. But every time I try it, I get problems. And, you know, it's putting something into your body and we're all different in how we can metabolize it and how how we react to it. So um, if you can't take one preparation, it's worth trying another. But, you know, not everybody, as you've pointed out, can not everyone does well on, on these medications. And, you know, and just to share a little bit of of my experience with listeners, uh, you know, that was my experience is I, you know, have been trying different hormone preparations for years, initially for endometriosis. When Prometrium first came out, I was, you know, very excitedly prescribed Prometrium and within 10 days had to stop because my mood was so severely affected, my energy levels, it was, you know, crying all the time. I've tried it several times over the years for perimenopausal symptoms. It just doesn't agree with me. And I've just had to come to terms with that. That as much as I have seen it be a complete game changer for women and really help them with sleep and mood and anxiety and all those things, I'm just one of those women that, you know, within seven to 10 days of trying even the lowest dose, I don't feel well. So I think that, you know, the idea that hormone therapy is for everyone we've debunked and that it can be for many women, it can be safely used for many women. And that a lot of the information that my generation was kind of exposed to through the 2000s, as we were coming into our 30s, and really, you know, starting to think about hormones has changed, because as science does, it evolves. And we as we, you know, the more you know, the better you do, and you continue to kind of, you know, refine how we, how you do things. So with respect to breast cancer, because that always is still the sticking point that women have, but what about, and won't it increase my chances? So is there a time limit that is definitively safe? So I have read and heard different things that like anything under two years or five years isn't likely to significantly affect your risk. Is there, is there a time frame that we can hang our hats on? Well, there isn't really a time frame you can hang your hat on because there are other factors contributing to everybody's individual risk. If there are 
10 excess deaths per thousand women treated, say, for example, after five years, um, that's still 990 women treated with no excess risk. And again, I think those 10 women probably had, if I'd taken a history, they would have had several risk factors, not just the HRT. Okay. So it's looking at, and I talk to women, I say, look, you know, you've got a family history of breast cancer, but that was in an older age. You need, if you're going to have HRT because your symptoms dictate you need it, let's get you doing exercise. Let's limit the alcohol intake. Let's make sure you're up to date with mammograms. So it's about mitigating risk. And it's like that with everything in health, to be honest. Any medication, anything you do, your lifestyle. I mean, sitting on the sofa and not moving is a huge risk to your long-term health. And yet people are quite happy to sit on the sofa and not move. And mm-hmm. so w- when it comes to hormone therapy, you know, if you're, you can take it and it has this tiny excess risk, but you can mitigate that risk by sorting other aspects of lifestyle out. Right. I mean, we can only, we can only do what we can do. Right. And so I, I think a lot of us get very focused on what is the best, what is the most, what is the, you know, the, the top of that pyramid without really thinking about that it's one spoke of the wheel. And that we have to kind of look at everything. And, you know, relative risk is something I think that is really misunderstood. You know, so like you're saying, if, if something is a risk of one in a thousand and, you know, a study comes out that it increases your risk by 50%, um, that's really only gone up to one and a half, right? And so people, I think, see that as, oh, that doubles my risk individually, but that's not how that should be interpreted. So again, having someone that you trust that you can have that conversation with who can really explain to you what that means for your health and, and work with you is so important. So the confounding variables impact on an individual risk. But just going back to the numbers. So for most women up to five years is considered very safe. Um, And yes, you need to look after your other risks of, you know, because actually increasing your risk of breast cancer with HRT, those lifestyle measures that will mitigate are going to help reduce your risk of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, depression, you know, cardiovascular disease you know osteoporosis all of those things as well the lifestyle factors the lifestyle approaches that you'll you can dovetail in are going to massively benefit you in the long term and reduce your risk of getting breast cancer with hrt so it's a win-win yeah and i often have conversations in the sphere of intuitive eating and joyful movement about how you know so much of the conversations we have with women are around trying to change things that they can't control Um, You know, and we put a lot of burden on women, I think, to change genetics or to, you know, to change things, you know, for for many women, they eat well and move well, and yet may still be in a higher risk category because of genetics. And so I think kind of recognizing that, that maybe seeing the decision about hormone replacement as something that's within your sphere of control can be really empowering. Like this is a decision that you can make and that you can make an informed decision about it and feel like it's, you know, it's an empowering choice. So on the kind of, to follow that conversation, want to the flip side of all the fears are that some women really go into the the conversations and decisions about hormone replacement, that it's going to fix everything that they're going to start this magic pill, and they're going to wake up feeling like they're 25, and nothing's going to hurt anymore. And they're not going to snap at their partners and that they're, you know, going to have beautiful, firm skin again. What are some of the the 
big myths around that concept around it's going to fix everything. All of it. <laughs> it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't fix other stuff going on in your life. So um, there are certain symptoms that hormone therapy definitely improves and can help. However, and I always say this, you know, if you aren't sleeping because you're having menopausal hot flushes at night and you've got insomnia and your mind's racing and you're having palpitations, okay, so you can take hormone therapy, which will reduce your hot sweats and hopefully will help some of those symptoms. But if you're looking at a blue screen with very stimulating, stressful content, just before you go to bed, your cortisol levels are going to be going up through the stress response. Your The blue screen, the, the blue light um, will suppress your melatonin release, so it will delay your onset of sleep. Um, and you'll be wide awake still even if you're taking HRT. And I, and, and I, I say that to my, my patients will say, but I'm, I'm taking hormone therapy and I'm, I'm still not sleeping well and I'm still getting panic attacks because they've got loads of other stress in their life or, you know, lots of other, other things that um, are ongoing symptoms. They still feel fatigue. Fatigue is a very multifactorial symptom. It's not just low estrogen if it was no I see everybody in the whole world is fatigued at the moment you know it's, it's such a common symptom across the board in men women but just just interjecting that you have such a great chapter on fatigue in your book I thought it was one of the the most well-rounded conversations I've seen around it so for anybody who's struggling with fatigue definitely check out um, this book so that and the background to that is that um, I led a sort of regional national chronic fatigue diagnostic and treatment service for 12 years in the in the national health service so i have seen so many patients and i my raison d'etre is to to problem solve i want to fix problems and i think you talked about the way i write my book it's like conversations i've learned so much from my patients because i'll say right this doesn't sound right that doesn't sound. everybody's different but there's always factors that are contributing to your symptoms. And often what you think is the big problem isn't the whole problem. And with hormone therapy, the other thing that I always say, you know, when women are told on Instagram that, you know, just go on hormone therapy and it's going to cure everything. It's going to stop you dying. It's going to make you look 25. <laughs> it's going to, you know, stop you getting dementia and heart disease and all of those things. It's it's a bit like the, the, the adverts on the TV. You know, they make everything look amazing. You know, you've got this new product. You think, wow, I'm going to get that product. You get it. And when you get it, you sort of think, actually, this is really not that good, is it? <laughs> and but we all want a quick fix. We, we love the idea of that quick fix. If I take HRT, I don't have to manage my stress. I don't have to do exercise. I don't have to manage my sleep. And be, I don't have to even look after myself. I can just focus on doing everything for everybody and not have to look after myself. And unfortunately, that's fake news. You, In order to get the benefit from HRT, hormone therapy, you have to look after yourself. And then it will work at its very best for you. And it will help your bones better because you're moving. It will help, you, you know, your energy levels because you're managing your stress and your sleep as well. All of those things. And dovetailing all of those um, approaches together is the winning ticket for, for all those troublesome symptoms like brain fog. Many women say, I've got this terrible brain fog, but they've got too, they've got too many things on their mind. And a lot of women will say to me, I think I'm getting dementia because I, I keep losing, I keep forgetting things and words don't come. 
And one thing I say to my patients is the people who are getting dementia deny it. They don't <laughs> over-focus on it and stress about it. Stress-causing yeah. brain fog is very different from dementia-causing cognitive dysfunction. So, you know, it's about yeah. looking at everything. I'd love to have another conversation with you at some point about brain fog um, because I, you know, I think that uh, that is a very misunderstood phenomenon because, you know, it is often dismissed as not even being a real symptom. You know, I have had some patients whose, um, you know, care team providers, you know, will say, oh, that's not a real thing. It's, that's not a medical term. Uh, you know, it's fatigue, it's stress, it's this. And so they, but if you've experienced brain fog, that's what it feels like. And it, it is such a great descriptor. So um, I think that that's another conversation for another time, but I definitely would like to chat um, at some point about that because it, it's a big one. So I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I know that uh, it's going to clear up a lot of misconceptions, um, some of the fears, and hopefully will have brought some, some, just reassurance to the table that what we know now is much different than what we knew 20 years ago, and that there are so many new options, safe options, really well thought out options that women can explore to relieve symptoms and just generally, you know, impact, I won't say improve, but impact their long term health if they decide that that's the right decision. So thank you so much for your time. So as I always ask my guests, what would you say is the missing ingredient or a missing ingredient in midlife for women? Okay, so I think I have to split it into two. It's always difficult. You want one answer. But um, self-belief, I think, is often missing because it is a great time. There is so much wonderful life ahead. And understanding that this isn't the end and believing that you can have new beginnings, you can try new things, you know, you, you have so much to offer the world is really important. So self-belief and then but just linking with that. And I think self-belief for women today, plus for everyone, is hammered downwards because everything looks so perfect in the media and social media. So we have high expectations and we never we never feel that we justify those. So, you know, we lose the self-belief. We think we're not good enough. We're not as good as everyone who looks amazing on fake news and social media. So yeah. I think keeping it simple and just looking at things and understanding they're all portrayed and through rose-tinted spectacles and that we are enough, you know, we are enough. And there is so much to look forward to ahead of this sort of in this new chapter. I love that. And I completely agree. So if people want to learn more from you, because you have so much to teach us, where can they find you? Okay, so um, I am on social media. Um, in between doing all my clinics. So I try and do it. I, I'm, I'm not perhaps on as much as, as uh, lots of other people, but I do have, I do post regularly with tips and videos and posts. Um, so I'm at the dot hormone dot doc on social media. Um, my book obviously has so much um, information. That's literally th nearly 30 years of my experience of seeing many, many, many people in clinic with all sorts of different symptoms related to women's health, fatigue, brain fog, menopause, whatever. And um, I do have a website as well um, called HormoneWise, which has got a few little tips. That's mainly to, to navigate if you've got health 
hormone health issues. Um, it's got a little bit of information about different hormone problems and, and how to navigate them. Great. And I will have that link and the link to your book in the show notes. So, so thank you so much. And uh, if you have any questions, please let us know. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll have a chance to chat on social media when this episode comes out in early November. So thanks so much and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Midlife Feast. If you are trying to make peace with food in midlife and feeling a little stuck, I'd love to help you. Visit my website for information about how to work with me one-on-one or to sign up for my group program, Beyond the Scale. You can find the link in the show notes on Instagram at menopause.nutritionist or visit www.jennsalibhuber.ca.